Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Oh, praise the Lord. Let's get into the Word this morning. In 2001, anybody familiar with uh, the group U2 at all, the secular group U2, a uh, guy by the name of, of Bono, um, his father, the father of, of lead singer Bono of the rock band U2, he passed away of cancer uh, uh, several years ago, actually in the early, uh, in 2001. And during his battle with cancer, uh, Bono had wrote a, a, a song that he titled Tough. Um, and he always saw his dad as tough. He saw his dad as strong-willed. He saw his dad as, uh, that's kind of how he, he saw himself relying. And so he wrote these lyrics to kind of open up the song. He said, tough, you think you've got the stuff. You're telling me in anyone, you're hard enough. You don't have to put up a fight. You don't have to always be right. Let me take some of the punches for you tonight. Listen to me now. I need to let you know you don't have to go it alone. And so he sat on just those, those lyrics. And then a few years later, after his dad has passed away, he, he added a chorus to the song that released in 2005. And, uh, and he added this chorus and he said this, it's when you, it's when I look in the mirror, excuse me, it's you when I look in the mirror and it's you when I don't pick up the phone, sometimes you can't make it on your own. And that last line, actually, then he transitioned the title from tough to be uh, that last line. Sometimes you can't make it on your own. And I share that because I find that the lyrics tend to be true, that sometimes we're taught that we're supposed to be tough. We're supposed to be self-reliant. We're supposed to be independent. We, we, we should be able to, to go it alone. But the truth is, scripture teaches us something very, very different. That we are not to be self-sufficient, that we're to be God-sufficient. We're to lean on the Lord, but not only lean on the Lord, but we're to learn how to lean on others. Learn that we have this relationship that is not independent, but the relationship that we see within Scripture is that of being interdependent. That we're dependent upon God, and we're also dependent upon one another in the family of God, the body of Christ. To belong is to be accepted. To belong is to feel secure. Without belonging, we're oftentimes isolated and alone. Our greatest desire as humans is to know and be known. To love and be loved. To be confident. To feel confident that those around us know us and love us and will be there for us through the thick and the thin of it. In fact, Mother Teresa, that tireless servant in Calcutta, India, she once said this, if we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to one another. Do you know that we belong to one another? We belong to each other in the, in the family of God. This new society that Jesus Christ has raised up as believers that he calls the church, the body of Christ, the family of God. God gives us a place to find connection and support and belonging. In fact, Psalm 68, 6, the beginning part reminds us of this when it said, God places the lonely in families. I just think that's really good, isn't it? Somebody, you might, you might want to highlight that in your Bible. 
God places the lonely in family. So last week, we started a series we call Better Together. And we, we talked about the fact that we are neuro, neurobiologically wired for connection. We've been created by our creator. The master creator has called us and created us for connection. Created us to be social beings, social people. That we're, we're not to, to simply go it alone. But even if you're an introvert, you still need people. It's the way we've been wired. It's who we are. In fact, our, our culture has a saying, friendship doubles your joys and divides your sorrows. Anybody ever heard that before? And so as we continue this series better together, I want to look at a passage of scripture that's found in an Old Testament book by someone that's called the wisest king who ever lived. His name is Solomon. Anybody know who Solomon is? David's son, Solomon. And Solomon wrote a, 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 a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And, uh, and, and King Solomon was basically, he, he came to what was kind of a midlife crisis. I don't know if it was midlife, but he had kind of a crisis in his life. And, uh, and he had asked God for wisdom, and he was the king, and, and there was, there, it seemed like there was nothing that he lacked, and yet there seemed to be an emptiness inside of his heart. And so he went on this search, trying out all kinds of things to try to find meaning in life because he was frustrated with his life. Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? He was looking for meaning. And, uh, and, 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 and so he, he began to look around and, and there's a word that is very common in the book of Ecclesiastes found 35 times in Ecclesiastes. It's the word vanities or meaningless, depending on what translation. That's what vanity or meaningless, it, it kind of gives this, this idea of something that is empty or short-lived. It's kind of like, anybody like bubbles? You like to put the wand in the bubbles and blow the bubbles? Right? So if you take the wand out and you blow the bubble, the, the, the idea behind this is that picture of you blow the bubble, the bubble is there and it goes and it's floating and you're like, wow, and then pop, just like that. That's the idea behind vanities and meaningless. And so in the section that we're going to look at today, the, he, he's looking at the vanity of selfish living or the vanity of trying to live in alone and the emptiness that's found when there's just a focus on oneself and not a, a coming together. And so he, he's observing a man who has lived a solitary life, somebody who was a hard worker, um, and, uh, but lived a, a very soli a solitary life without any kind of companionship. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 7, this is what he observed. He says this, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who uh, is all alone without child or brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. And, and, and then he asks, but then he asked himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. So a man who's a diligent laborer, a man who has worked hard, yet a man who has been focused on simply living for himself, who is all alone and, and, and comes to a place where everything that he's tried to work for, he comes to the end and he thinks, what was it all for? Why did I do this? Uh, who, who do I have to pass this on to? What, what does this mean now as I'm getting to the end of my life and I'm realizing that my life is, is but a vapor and about to go? What is all of this meant? 
Kind of reminds me of the New Testament story in the Gospel of Luke of uh, the man that Jesus talked about who had a very productive field and decided he was going to build bigger barns and store bigger barns so that he could just kind of sit back and, and, uh, and, and enjoy. And Jesus says, who are you to, to know what your life holds? Right? The man talks to himself. He says, you know what? There's nobody around and, and, uh, and I, don't know, I don't know what this is. So I'm busy. I'm, I'm really busy, but I'm so busy I can't enjoy the fruit of my labor. And I, I don't really have any kind of meaningful relationships. And there's no one to pass it on. Nothing to pass on to the next generation. And Solomon observes this and he says, this is truly somebody who is experiencing vanity or meaningless. There's something wrong with this picture. And it's off of this that that very uh, that a, that a passage of scripture that is that is very popular that we that we we pull out it's on the heels of this that Solomon makes another observation and a statement and he says this in verse nine two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed and if one person falls the other can reach out and help but someone who falls alone is in real trouble right. <laughs> Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? And a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are better for a triple braided cord or a threefold cord is not easily broken. See, Solomon moves from isolation to integration. And he moves from an, an illustration of an isolated man to a statement in observing the importance of somebody who integrates their life with someone else and weaves their life together in someone else. And we see from Solomon's observations that, friends, we are better together. We're better together. We're better together. In fact, in this text, I want to highlight quickly five benefits of relationships. Five benefits of relationships. I'm going to try to move through these quickly. Number one is the benefit of community. Notice in, in verse 9, he, Solomon moves from this idea of isolation, this man who's alone, this man who comes, and, and all of a sudden from doing life alone, he makes the observation, he makes the statement, two are better than one. Two are better than one. In other words, life is better when it's shared with someone else. Life is better when it's shared with someone else, when it's shared with others. How many of you believe that that's true, that life is better when it's shared with others? I think theoretically we understand that, but I would also say that two is better, but I also know that two is harder. Right? Whenever you involve more people, although it is better, it is also harder. Okay, how many have ever worked on group projects before? How many you prefer to work alone rather than in a group project? Yeah. Right? I know. Because it, why? Because it's harder. So because it's harder, we have a tendency to kind of pull away. Anybody who has been married also knows that two is harder, right? Although he says two is better, it doesn't mean two is easier. Two is harder. I mean, just think about it. All of a sudden you go and, and you weave your life with somebody else and you get married and the toilet paper runs out and you reach in the drawer and you put it on and then your partner says, that's not the way we put the toilet paper on. And you say, wait a minute, I put it on and it goes under. And they say, no, it's not supposed to go under, it's supposed to go over. All right? So how many under people do we have in the house today? Under, if you're online, put in the comments whether you're under. 
How many over people do we have? Oh, there's a whole lot more over people. Put in the comments, I want to know, over or under, right? Right? All right, toothpaste. All right, you knew I was going there. Toothpaste. How many like to squeeze at the bottom to make sure that you get everything that's there? How many bottom squeezers do we have? All right, how many middle squeezers? It doesn't matter as long as it comes out, right? You can participate too online. We want to know. We want to know. I want to know, right? Two is better. Solomon says two is better, but it doesn't say two is easier. It doesn't say more is easier. In fact, oftentimes more is harder. Oftentimes two is, is harder. I mean, just think about when it comes to raising children and the different ways in which we think about discipline, the different ways we, I mean, there are some clashes that can come together. And I think that's why, that's why it is, it, it might not be uh, easy, two is harder, but it's better. In fact, in a, in a proverb, um, <coughs> excuse me, Proverbs 27, 17, uh, Solomon wrote this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now we go, amen, right? Except when you think about that process, right? That's friction. That's not easy. That's hard. That's rubbing off some corners. That's pushing some buttons. That's getting some things. But in the end, we become what? Better, sharper. There is something better. And as we observed last week, we were, we were designed by our manufacturer. We were designed for relationship. It's not good that man should be alone. That was before any, any bite of the fruit. Because we belong to one another. We have been made for community. Dr. Leonard Kramer, a psychiatrist who treated depression for 30 years in patients, he, he once wrote this. He said, the human being is the only species that cannot survive alone. The human being needs another human being for survival. The only species that can't survive on its own. There's plenty of scientific evidence to the value of community and the value of relationships. They, they lead, many times they lead to a healthier life. When, when you have good relationships, it leads to a healthier life. It leads to a stronger immune system. You're, you're less likely to suffer depression. I find that last one, immune system. Can I just say after the last couple of years, we just need to look back at the research. All right, I'm going to leave that there before I step in something that gets me in trouble, Right? You're less likely to suffer depression, anxiety, and other types of mental illness when you have a strong community around you because it's the way that we were made. It lowers stress levels. And some of you might say, but you said it was harder. And it, it does. Sometimes it does increase stress levels. But when you, when you are with and around others, when you have the support system, it lowers stress levels. Studies show that a healthy community will lower stress levels. And so when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he didn't begin alone right? He went out and he recruited some people to be with him. We know, right? The 12 disciples, right? There was more than 12. In fact, in one passage of scripture, he sent out 70, right? He sent out 70 others. Some say 72, some say 70. Potato, potato, I don't know, right? We're made to be a part of community. And in the early church, that was the way it was. In Acts chapter 2, all of a sudden, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. There's 120 that have been praying and praying together. They've been praying together in unity. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and Peter begins to preach. He preaches this sermon that he preaches, you know, all the time. You, you, you know, you kind of hear that story, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is about Jesus. This is the Old Testament. This is it. And, and then you killed him. 
right? And he rose from the dead, right? That's kind of the sermon that Jesus preaches. Jesus preaches that sermon over and over again. So Jesus is preaching, and they say, what do we do? They're cut to the heart, right? And it says 3,000 get saved. So now you have a community of 3,120. And what do they do? Verse 46, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In fact, if you, if you go back a few verses, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It also says that they met in the temple courts and they met from house to house. There is value in community. We are better together. We're better together. We were created for community. Number two, productivity. Productivity. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. That's productivity. Anybody want to be more productive? My, more productive. Not many of you do. Nobody really raised their hands. Okay. I like to be productive. I'll raise both hands. All right. Productivity, right? Simply more than increased revenue. revenue. Two are better than one because, uh, again, there is greater productivity. You add mutual encouragement and the benefit of having to be able to work side by side with someone else. And we find that what Solomon is saying is we're better together. We're better together. How many have heard the old adage, two heads are better than one, right? Two, two heads are better than one. Two people, more ideas to share, more creativity to share. You, you have more ideas to resolve problems. Two are better than one. In fact, I found an interesting illustration in manufacturing. Uh, there was a corporation that made old transistor radios. Anybody remember the old transistor radios? So they were making transistor radios that they were, that they were sending out and they had to do some training. And so they decided to, to, to train in different ways and they wanted to see which method of training was the best. So some of the people, they brought them together and they, they, they put them in a group and they began to train them as a group. And then there were others that they decided they were going to bring in and they did training one-on-one. -on -one. They wanted to know what was the most, what was the most effective way to be able to train. And so they brought them together in groups and they brought them together individually. And a week later, they brought everybody back together again and they had them assemble the radios to test which method was better. Does anybody want to guess what method was better? The group. The people that learned in the group, when they trained in the group, remembered more and the quality of their work was better than those that they trained one-on-one -on -one and individually. There is power in, there is power, more productivity when we come together, more productivity together. Solomon's observation as well is that productive, productivity is better when we do it together. Two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. Two are better than one. Again, I didn't say two was easier, please, but it's better. It's true in the workplace. It's true in sports. In fact, I heard a football coach say, I have great players and great, finding great players and finding great talent. We just had the NFL draft and, uh, and all of that. Finding great players and finding, uh, you know, great talent. That's not the problem. It's getting them to play together. It's getting them to play together. It's getting them to, to be able to come together and play. And, uh, and, and I love that concept of the body of Christ because we see that in the body of Christ, that God has uniquely fit us together as a body with different talents and different gifts and different abilities, and we each have different things. And so when we bring that together under the headship of Christ and under what he has, we see greater productivity. We see God uh, be able to move and do more. I think there's an example in the Old Testament. Somebody who kind of struggled sometimes to, to, to lead alone. How many remember Moses? Moses was a great leader, wasn't he? 
he was a great leader except that in, in Exodus chapter 18, um, there's a picture. Moses is, is holding court. He's trying to help people solve their problems. Everybody's coming to Moses. He's got a lineup a mile long. He spent all day dealing with people's problems, dealing with everything. And he goes home and, and his father-in-law's at, at, at the house. And he goes home and, uh, and his father-in-law begins to talk with him. And his father-in-law doesn't put his arm around him and go, wow, my son-in-law, look at you. Great job, man. You are working so hard. He says, what you're doing is what? Not good. Look at it, Exodus 18. Not good. You are wearing yourself out and you're wearing the people out. What you are doing is not good. He says, you need to find 70 people, 70 leaders. You need to raise up some other leaders. In fact, later on, God tells them the same thing. You need to find 70 leaders, 72 leaders, 70, 72, potato, potato. You know, I'm just telling you, you read that in scripture. You don't know which one's what. It's okay. You need to bring other people around. And, and you need to allow them to do some of this. Because there's value and more productivity together. More productivity together. Number three, support. Verse 10. Oh, man. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Let's face it. We all stumble and fall at times, don't we? Do you always get it right? Are you always perfect? Do you never fall or stumble or make a mistake? Either do I. I make mistakes all the time. And when we stumble and fall and no one to help us up, I mean, that's just a bad place to be. And Solomon says two are better than one because they can help each other up. They can encourage one another. Life is full of discouragements, right? I mean, Scripture is all the time saying, that, you know, whether you're the just or the unjust, you're, you know, whatever your foundation, it rains, Right? On the just and the unjust. The wind blows on the just and the unjust. It doesn't matter because it, you, things are going to happen. The rain is going to come. The wind is going to come. It, it's going to happen. But isn't it nice to know that, that when those times come, when you stumble, when you get discouraged, when you're going through a hard time, that you have somebody or a community of somebodies that's there to pick you up, that's there to encourage you, that's there to get you back on the right foot again. Right? It reminds me of what Paul wrote in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted also. So the role of the body of Christ is to give a hand up. The role of the body of Christ is to reach and encourage one another, support one another, to be there. That's why the enemy loves to try to isolate us and get us alone. He likes to try to tell us you can have an individual faith. You can have a private faith. You know what? Personal faith might be personal, but it's not private. We're meant to come together. Why? Because you need the encouragement and I need the encouragement. I remember when I played basketball um, in college. And if you now, if you watch the NBA or you watch college basketball, you see it all the time. It doesn't matter. Even other sports and things like that. But when you've got a group sport, if, if somebody is defending, uh, and this usually happens defensive, sometimes it happens on offense. But man, you're really giving your all and you're defending or you're, you're attacking the basket and, and somehow you get tripped up or you fall down or you go after a loose ball. What, what oftentimes we see is the team comes together when the person's on the ground and they go over and they give them a hand and they help them up. That's what the body of Christ does. That's what this is talking about. When you fall down, someone is there to help you up. Friends, there is stability and support when we walk through the dangers 
of life when we walk through it together. We're better together. Number four is intimacy. If two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And in our day and age, we'd say more blankets. That's how I keep warm. More blankets, right? Just give me one of them down comforters. Just give me one of them electric blanket things. This is the day before down comforters and electric blankets. So you know how people would, would, would stay warm? They, they'd oftentimes travel. And, uh, and, and, and they might come to an inn. But I can tell you that an inn was neither a holiday nor a comfort. All right, it was neither a holiday nor a comfort. So you would come together as a group, and, and, and as a group, you would use your 98.6 body temperature, huddled all together at night to keep warm. And you may have a blanket, a lighter blanket, but you would have that kind of coming together, and, and, and that's how you would keep warm. But if you traveled by yourself, you didn't have the ability to be able to keep warm by lying down with others, which meant that you had to take along more blankets. Well, more blankets while you're traveling alone means that you are carrying a much heavier pack. Alone, we carry a heavier pack. There's a heaviness and a burden by walking alone. But when you come together, the the weight is lighter and there is an intimacy, there is a closeness that comes. This is an idea of, of intimacy. It's a, a beautiful picture of intimacy that I think translates really well into the body of Christ. This relationship, not only with Jesus, but this, this intimacy that we can have in community with one another. Harold Snyder wrote, the church today is suffering a fellowship crisis. One seldom finds the institutionalized church today, the winsome intimacy among people where masks are dropped, honesty prevails, and there's a sense of communication and community beyond the human. He calls this the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that we come together under the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that there is an intimacy that we have. Now think about it in terms of marriage, right? Uh, when, you, when you talk about intimacy, let's think about it in terms of marriage, okay? When, when your relationship is good and you and your spouse are on the same page, you, you don't mind being close. But when there's a little bit of a rift or a little bit of a problem, right? And that little toe comes over at night, it's like, get away from me, right? Don't get close to me, Right? When you're, when you're upset, when you're angry, it ruins intimacy. It impacts intimacy. That's why Ephesians chapter 4 says, don't let the sun go down on your, on your wrath or on your anger. Deal with it. Because it impacts intimacy. It impacts closeness. It's the same thing outside of marriage in the body of Christ. If we don't deal with the offenses, we don't deal with the hurt, we don't deal with, with the things that upset us, it creates a wedge and it drives a wedge. And it's exactly what the enemy wants to do because it ruins the intimacy and the openness and the discipleship and the community of encouragement that God wants to bring. So we've got to resolve that so we can get back the intimacy. Not only does this kind of give us an idea of intimacy, but number five is security. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 2,000, 3,000 years ago in ancient Middle East, people didn't travel alone. It was dangerous to travel alone. They would oftentimes, as we said, travel with a group. And it wasn't just for warmth's sake. It was also for security's sake. I mean, think about in the New Testament when there was a single man who was walking alone on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell into the hands of robbers, right? 
We know it as the, uh, uh, you know, he, he got beat up with, with the Good Samaritan story. He got beat up because he was walking alone. There is security in community. And that's the, that's the idea here is that, that there is some type of security that keeps us from an attacker. How many of you know we have an enemy who loves to devour? That's what Peter says. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you are falling behind, if you are falling outside, if you are isolated, if you are alone, he comes at you with the negativity. He comes at you with all of those thoughts, all of those things. And he loves to pick you off because you're not a part of the community. There's value in community because there is security in community. There is encouragement in community. There is, there is this idea in which we have people who have our back who are watching out for us, who say, I see some things and I'm concerned about you. So if you haven't been around for a while and I give you a call and say, hey, how are you? It's not because I'm trying to be the principal who wants to say, oh, you haven't been in church. It's because I care about you because I don't want the enemy to pick you off. Understand your pastor does it because he loves you. I care about you. I don't want you getting picked off somewhere by the enemy because there is, there is, there is security and safety within the family of God. But beyond this, Solomon closes out this paragraph with a little extra sentence that he adds to the whole text. And that is this, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And he moves in, in verse eight where he's seeing somebody who is alone and then he moves to verse 9 where he says two are better than one. And then he moves to the end and we go from one to two to a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, the more friends you have, the better off you'll be. That's the idea. A three folks. Now, now, I know, I know. How, I, I've used this in marriage. How many of you, this was like your marriage passage, right? And, and I find it in marriage, it's like we, you know, tie the knot, right? We use the term tie the knot. Uh, in that way. And oftentimes this is used in marriage. And I love it because in, in, in marriage, the idea that we kind of give is this kind of idea of, 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 of three strands. So you got husband, you have the wife, you have two. And then there's this, this third cord. Now, now engineering standpoint, how many of you know that if you have a single, a single cord, it'll hold a certain amount of weight. But if you add more weight to it, what happens? It breaks. So if you add another cord to it, you can add a little bit of weight to it, a little bit more weight and it'll hold it. But you add too much and it'll what? It'll break. You add a third cord, but there's something powerful about when you begin to weave those cords together. That's the integrated life. It's not just single strands. It's an integrated weaving and engineering. It creates great strength. In fact, bridges are built in this way by weaving these strands together because they are stronger together. And so the three, threefold cord, when we begin to weave Jesus into the community of our relationships, we begin to find that as we weave him, not aside, don't push him out, don't push him aside, we weave him together, there is a strength to the relationships and a strength to our community. I mean, you know, we need Jesus. Woven in together, a third fold strand is better than a single strand. When God said in the beginning, it's still true today. It's not good that man should be alone. Emotional isolation and the fallout that can come from those kinds of things can have devastating effects on our life and on our culture. 
We are better together. Although seclusion seems simpler and easier, it's not better. Solomon reminds us that we are better together. We're wired to be better together. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.